Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, looking for exercise and fun, we'll tell you where you'll find it. We'll also tell you about a program to honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But starting us off, Bob Walensky, Wyoming Valley native, an adjunct professor at King's College in Wilkes-Barre and Professor Emeritus at Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and Mike Korb, a senior mining engineer, have all the details on all the programs for Anthracite Mining Heritage Month. Very excited today because we are going to be getting all the details about Anthracite Mining Heritage Month. And before we get to Mike, I'm going to start off with Bob and have you explain just what is Anthracite Mining Heritage Month all about? Yes, uh, Paula, thank you for for interviewing us about this annual uh, event, Anthracite Mining Heritage Month. We reserve the month of January each year. When I say we, it's <laughs> it's many, many people. We have over 70 people on the program this year who are interested in preserving the region's very valuable coal mining history and culture, not just you know, the actual mining of anthracite, which is uh, you know the world's best coal, almost you know pure carbon, but it's, it's about the history of the people and the culture the way of life of, of anthracite, which is fast changing and in many ways fast fading. But it started in 1999, this month did, with the 40th anniversary of the Knox Mine Disaster. Now, the Knox Mine Disaster of January 22nd, 1959, was the last major coal mining disaster in the northern anthracite field. There are three anthracite fields, northern, middle, and southern. Uh, Wilkes-Barre Scranton is, is the hub of the of the northern field. Uh, Knox was uh, was a momentous occasion. Twelve men died in the Pittston area. The mines were flooded when the Knox Coal Company mined illegally under the Susquehanna River. River broke in and flooded mines in that immediate area. That took away thousands of jobs. Eventually, that flood did not affect the Scranton area. That's a different basin or bowl of anthracite, but it was the beginning of the end, really. Anthracite was already in pretty well full retreat by January 1959. Indeed, the Knox Coal Company was pillaging coal. It was toward the end, and uh, and, and they were kind of kind of desperate to squeeze the last bit of profit out of the mine, and the Knox Coal Company had organized crime affiliation. I, I should add that. After that, we began a huge program up at the Anthracite Museum in Scranton in January, of 1999, and it carried on. We've been doing it every January, as close as we can to the 22nd. And as you can see from this year's program, we'll be up at the Anthracite Museum with uh, Bodie Morin, who's the who's the uh, director up there, and John Fielding, who's the curator, with another wonderful program because it's international this year for the first time. It, uh, the Knox program is. Uh, and then we branched out. We did the program in uh, in Wyoming about a disaster that happened there. And then pretty soon we decided to do the annual Monsignor Curran lecture at King's College. Curran was a, known as the labor priest and helped settle many strikes in the anthracite region. He was the friend of the coal miner, died in 1936. So uh, it branched out to, to uh, Danico wanted to do a program. And Plymouth always does a program. The Greater Pittston Historical Society it gets involved every year. So it's branched out to the local history societies, local colleges and universities, Misericordia, I mentioned King's, the University of Scranton, the Luzerne County Community College, uh, Marywood, have all done programs, Penn State, that's Scranton. So it's branched out and, and the local community has sort of taken a possession of it, including Mike's 
mining engineering organization. They, we've gotten out into a professional association, such as the mining engineers, the anthracite branch of the mining engineers. So the local community has taken you know, possession of this Every year it grows. We have dug on near 25 programs this year from Bethlehem to Scranton with spots in between. And so it's really gratifying to see so many people and so many institutions and organizations decide to get involved and preserve and remember and tell the story of our interstate heritage. It's fascinating when you think about the history and that people are still moving forward. And Mike, maybe you can explain, because I don't think that a lot of people realize that a society of mining engineers is still active today because they hear about mines, they hear about all this, but they think, oh, that's gone by the wayside. Well, certainly it, it, it hasn't. Uh, mining is still a vital part of, of America's economy. Even coal mining here in the northeastern Pennsylvania, there's there's uh, still a, a good a good industry here in northeastern Pennsylvania. Anthracite coal, I know a lot of people still do heat their homes here in the area with anthracite coal, but it's also a real industrial commodity the, uh, used in the steel industry. It's used in a lot of other processing industries. So it, it is is still here. It's still vital. The uh, Our chapter of, of mining engineers is around here since 1914. So it, we, we're, we're proud to say that we were where the mining engineers started in 1971 and, uh, and we're still continuing. And there are so many people that are interested in all of the different things just by the number of people from the Anthracite Heritage Foundation all the way down to the Knox Mine Disaster Memorial Committee. So many people and there's dozens in between there. So let's talk about some of the events. And actually, some of them are um, going to be held on different locations. You've got all kinds of different people speaking and I'd like to kind of skip ahead a little bit. I think it's it's interesting to point out right from the get-go, Mike, as you said, that there are people who are still involved in this. And one of the things that I think is fascinating and many people don't know is that in Scranton, they're working on reopening the Brooks Mine at Nayog Park. How exciting is that? It really is. It, it is not a real mine. It, it was a demonstration mine that was put in back a uh, hundred years ago, and uh, it was there just for uh, for at the at the museum. It was something for people to go see, and and that has been shut down probably for almost fifty years now. The uh, underground miners group ha- are up there and are are working to rehabilitate that so that people, when they visit the museum, when they visit the park up there, can can go in and, and see get a a feeling of how, how it was in the underground mining area. We do have three uh, tourist mines that, that are in existence in, in uh, Coldale-Lansford and in Ashland and, and in Scranton. But this will be a, a nice place because a lot of people will just go there on an afternoon and it would be something that they'll be able to go in and, and visit uh, just to, on a swim. I can attest to that because being from Scranton and being at Nayog Park growing up, I was just there uh, over the weekend and I had the opportunity to walk past and I know that they're working on it to bring it back. And I was telling a friend of mine how much of an impact it made on me as a kid to walk in there. And what you're right, it's it's nothing like the one at, at the Anthracite Museum, but it's just enough. I can remember walking in, I can feel the damp and I can remember ha- seeing the, the mannequins of the miners in there. And what an impact it made. So kudos to to Chris and Dan, who are really putting all kinds of effort in there. And they're going to be doing that on the 21st. That's going to be at the Anthracite Heritage Museum at uh, at McDade Park. That's going to be from 2 to 2.30. There'll be a, a mining memorabilia display by Mike and Linda Mascardi from Wayne, Pennsylvania, all the way down in Wayne. Uh, Mike and Linda come up every year and they're doing two of their, they have a tremendous collection. They don't sell them of papers and, and signs and lamps. And they just do this because they are devoted anthracite people. They'll have that up there on January 21st for the Brooks Mine of Nayog Park program with Chris and Dan, Chris Murley and Dan Shirtliff. And then the next day that, that display is going to be up with the for the Knox Mine Disaster Program, which is the twenty second at the same site, Anthracite Heritage Museum. 
Okay, and I'm going to stay on the 21st and I'm going to bring Mike back in because he's going to be moderating the uh, Greater Hazelton Historical Society and Museum and Pennsylvania Anthracite Society for Mining Engineers. And what a program that is going to be the 125th anniversary commemoration of the Latimer Massacre. Mike, tell us about that. We were planning on having this last year, Paul. I think we talked about it last year on the, on the show. In fact, me being an old guy, I kind of I kind of chickened out from the COVID. Bob came back and said I had to do it this year. I'm, I'm anxious to do it also. It's, it's actually the commemoration of the 125th anniversary of the Latimer Massacre, but also the 50th anniversary of the erection of the Latimer Monument. Latimer Massacre was a one of the most important events in, in labor and ethnic history in, in northeastern Pennsylvania. You know, the anti-site country has always has drawn, drawn immigrants, and the Pennsylvanians, the who, who actually were earlier immigrants, have always exhibited mixed feelings about those arrivals. And the guys that were came over in the 1890s were having a pretty rough time. They were southern and eastern Europeans. They came hope to claim some portion of the American dream. But they found a, a real strong anti-immigrant sentiment, even some violence against the foreigners. They uh, also were only receiving low wages. They were doing dangerous work. They had uh, bad living conditions. And in 1897, there was a uh, a wave of protests, mostly among foreign workers in the Hazleton area mines. The uh, Hazleton Evening Standard even offered the co-op operators of editorial warning the day of the slave driver is past and the once or ignorant foreigner is no will no longer tolerate it and so on september 10th 1897 about 400 immigrant uh, workers started on a work, peaceful march from larwood to latimer in search of better pay and conditions in coal fields and by the end of the day over 30 of them would be injured and 19 more were killed as they were fired on by the on, on the road to latimer and we're going to be talking about it. Uh, the speakers are going to be Paul Shackle, Dr. Paul Shackle. He's a professor of anthropology at the University of Maryland. He's working on a, the American Anthracite Heritage Project. It's been an anthropology dig at, at Latimer, at uh, Pardeesville, and now at Eckley. They're doing also oral histories of new and longtime residents of the region. His program is going to be called Remembering Latimer. And uh, Dr. Walensky also is going to be talking. Uh, he's Professor Meredith at the uh, University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, and he's an adjunct professor of history and, and sociology at King's College. He's written a, a slew of books about anthracite history. And he's going to be talking about the ethnic comp- component of Latimer. I believe that's going to be about the Italian Im- immigrants, Bob. Well, it's not just the Italians. The Italians led the march that you just described, Mike. Main victims, those 19 victims, were overwhelmingly Slavic. Right, uh, right. Poles and and, and, and uh, people from Eastern Europe, as you mentioned, most of the new immigrants at that time were from Southern and Eastern Europe. Three of uh, the speakers are going to be talking about uh, some photos that uh, Henry Harry Dreyfus Jr., uh, he, he was uh, 1870 to 1852. He was a native of Hazleton, member of a d- distinguished Lutheran family who later find, found the uh, Dreyfus Insurance Agency in Hazleton. He was a neophyte photographer in 1897. And on December 10th, he set up his camera to f- photograph the Workers marching to Latimer, he produced that iconic photo that you've seen many times, I'm sure. He also photographs the miners before and after the, what became as known as the Latimer Massacre. Uh, the Greater Hazleton Museum has the pictures. The Anthracite Museum has the camera. And Lou Dreyfus himself has memories of his great-grandfather. And we'll have the three people speaking. Jimbo Regina from the uh, Greater Hazleton Historical Society will be talking about the, the photos themselves. John Fielding from the Anthracite Heritage Museum will be talking about the camera, which is on display at at, at the museum. And Lou Dreyfus, the third great-grandson of, of Harry, talking about remembering Harry Dreyfus. He's going to have some talk about some, some letters between Harry and his, and his sister. I just want everybody to know that on the 21st, there is, there's another program at the Shimokan Coal Township Library, and that is going to be with Philip Mosley, and he is going to have his book, and that's going to again be at the Shemokin Library from 11 to 1. Then is the program with uh, Chris Murley, Dan Shirtliff about the the mine at Brooks, the Brooks Mine at Nayog Park, Scranton. That's from 2 to 3.30 and that is going to be at the Anthracite Heritage Museum in Scranton. Then your program, the 20 on the 21st, 
they'll have time to get there because they can drive from Scranton to Hazleton to the Hazel Township building. And that's going to be from 630 to 830. And that's just one action packed day. You bet. We're giving a slew of stuff on that day. But you know, 21st and 22nd were important days. Certainly going to get your money's worth. Of course, these events are all free. So. So we should add add that following. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask you that, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Before we get to the 22nd, which is going to be the Knox Mine, um, the other thing I wanted to point out was that um, it's actually on January 14th, and there is a National Industrial History Museum public program, and that one is being held in Bethlehem. And I again, you've got folks from all over the place, so they can they can travel to Bethlehem. And there's also a program that evening at the Susquehanna Brewing Company in Pittston, and that is going to have music and a lot of fun. People are trying to write all this down. So do you have all this in one place on a website, on a Facebook page that people would be able to find all this? There's an article in the Times Leader. This is in the, on the 3rd of, of January. There's lots of it on on our Facebook page, on the Anthracite Heritage Foundation Facebook page, it's also on a Facebook page that's called uh, Anthracite Coal National Park. It will be on our web page. Yeah, when Mike says our web page, he means the Anthracite Heritage Foundation. That's right. Which is a Wilkes-Barre-based organization, works in affiliation with King's College, and Mike and I are both board members of Anthracite Heritage Foundation. So it'll be on that website as well. There's also going to be WVIA is also participating and they have a number of different programs that are going to be coming up. Can we highlight just a few of those? So I worked with the folks up there to bring this together. Uh, we worked with um, with Erica Funky and Chris Norton and Chris Zellers that we did this the last few years and WVIA puts their programming up on a special website each January. And this year, they're going to do just a great job with two documentaries that'll be online all month at a special website. Uh, one documentary produced by Dave Braca, a very recent one, on the Knox Mine Disaster. Again, the Knox Mine Disaster triggered the entire Anthracite Mining Heritage Month. That documentary will be shown January 22nd, January 26th, and January 27th. They will be broadcast live on WVIA. It will be on uh, on their actual network uh, on 22nd, 26th, 27th, to be immediately followed by another documentary, this one uh, written and narrated by Erica Funky. This is 1984. This is the first Knox documentary. So certain times on the 22nd, 26th, and 27th, those times are in the schedule. Uh, you'll see Brockas first to be followed by Funky's, and uh, that'll be done three times in January, 22nd, 26th, and 27th. What will be up all month long at the WVIA special website, uh, Songs and Stories from Coal Country. This is a program that WVIA ran this past fall with two folk singers, Jay Smarr and Tom Flannery, uh, two wonderful folk singers who have written many songs about the local history. You know, the history and culture of mining communities all over the world resides in folk songs and folk culture. There are folk singers in Britain and in France and wherever you have in Germany, wherever you have coal mines, Australia. And so this fall, those two guys sang songs of different songs, the whole period, 10 songs each about different periods of anthracite history. And yours truly provided the historical context of, for example, the Avondale mine disaster of 1869, anthracite's worst in Plymouth Township, Luzerne County. They had songs. Uh, they did, did one about the Knox, and I commented on that. And they did one on Breaker Boys, and I commented on that. Well, that hour and a half program, it's a little longer than that, actually. Uh, that'll be broadcast. You can just go to the website, and you can watch that whenever you like and during the entire month of January. So uh, thank you to WVIA for doing that this month. Let's talk about the Knox Mine disaster. And the day is actually starting out with a mass at St. John's Church on William Street in Pittston. Yes, this is an annual mass. It's been going on since 1958 when the citizens of Port Griffith, right there at Pittston, St. Joseph's Church, which was in Port Griffith, which was the church of most of the Knox or a large number of the Knox victims. It's right on Main Street there. Uh, that church is now Beloga Funeral Home, and the Beloga family always cooperates with us every year on this because uh, Mr. Beloga Sr. was one of the victims of the Knox mine disaster, and he, 
he is the, the, the uncle of the current owner of the Beloga funeral home, John Beloga. So um, since St. Joseph's is closed, we go to St. John's. It's on William Street there in Pittston. That'll be at, at 9 o'clock. And immediately afterwards, at, at 11, we go up to the Beloga funeral home, former St. Joe's Church, where the Knox Mine Disaster marker, the historical marker, is located. And we have a public commemoration there. Family members show up. Uh, the community shows up and we talk about the Knox mine disaster again, review it a little bit. It's an outdoor event, of course, because the marker is in front of the funeral home. After that, that only takes about 20, 30 minutes. We get in our cars and we drive about a mile down the hill and um, we get out and we walk up the river and go to the actual Knox mine disaster site, which is really considered sort of a sacred site for mining historians and certainly family members. As, as I mentioned, 12 men died in the Knox Mine disaster of January 22nd, 1959. And those 12 bodies are still in the river somewhere. They're still underground. So that's a cemetery. I know Audrey Beloga, who is a, a relative of uh, John Beloga, who I mentioned at Beloga Funeral Home. Uh, Audrey lives right above the, the break-in site in Port Griffith. That's where her dad is. She was just a just a young girl when her dad died. And and his family was tremendously traumatized by this, especially the mom who wrote poems for the local newspapers about her lament. We published those poems in, in, in one of our books on the Knox Mine disaster. So that's a, that's a big, a big event, walking up to the site. We have markers there. We, we, we are, we've done this every year. We have another marker where the men came out. There was a miraculous rescue of 36 men came up in an air shaft, which was supposed to be filled in, but it wasn't. So there was there were 12 victims. There could have been a heck of a lot more. 81 men were in the mine that day. 12 died. That's way too many, but it could have been a heck of a lot worse. Some of those men wandered for seven hours trying to find a way out until they found this air shaft called the Eagle, Eagle Air Shaft. So that's, that's a, a very full morning of Yes, it is. And then it's not over yet because I think this is really interesting because it is the disaster commemoration public program. But now there's an international connection. And I talked to Bodie Morin when he was getting ready to go to Wales and was looking forward to it. So now some of those folks are actually able to be here and take part in this. What an experience that's going to be. And that's going to be at the Anthracite Heritage Museum on the 22nd at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yes, that was a result of a trip that Bodie and Beth Landmesser and myself led to the UK. We, we visited coal mines and, and railroad museums, canal boat. We did the canal boat ride. We did all these sites in Scotland, England, and Wales. We ended in Wales again in Scotland. And we, uh, we made a lot of contacts along the way, visiting the Scottish National Mining Museum, uh, the English National Mining Museum, the Welsh National Mining Museum, folk museums where they had coal mine. They built you know, whole outdoor museums around coal mining sites, typically. Bodhi uh, wrote down names and kept in touch. And we have, uh, for the first time, this annual Knox commemoration is going to have an international connection. It's going to be, uh, the title is uh, of Welsh and American coal heritage. And Bodie's going to, he has put this together. He's going to chair it. We have the head of the Big Pit National Mining Museum in Wales. We have uh, someone from the Rhonda Heritage Park, Lure Merthyr Colliery in Wales. We have the curator of the Big Pit National Museum in Wales. John Fielding, aforementioned from the Anthracite Museum, is going to be there to talk as well. So it's we, we tried to get uh, speakers, Bodie did, from from Scotland and Wales, but these these folks from Scotland and England, but these folks from Wales are very enthusiastic. So this year it's going to be simply the Welsh American a comparison. Wales has a long-standing mining tradition. Many of the miners from Wales came to the anthracite fields. In fact, in the late 1800s, Scranton was the Welsh capital of America, as it's often been said. The aforementioned Avondale mine disaster. Uh, 1869 was overwhelmingly a Welsh disaster of those 110 men and boys who perished. 69 were, were Welsh immigrants or were Welsh nationals. It was a big, strong Welsh connection in the anthracite. So that's going to be a real feature for us. Uh, you can also join this meeting, by the way, on the Facebook site 
of the Anthracite Heritage Museum. If, if you can't show up in person, you have to go to Facebook and go to our list, uh, which again is, will be posted. I'm sure Paula will again tell you where these are going to be. The whole schedule is posted. Uh, you can watch the thing on Facebook. Mike, one of the other things, as as Bob was talking about that, there's also a program coming up on the 25th. And speaking of heritage, this one is bringing together five Northeast Pennsylvania ethnic groups who all have heritage and all have connections to mining here in Northeast Pennsylvania. On the 25th, Beth Ladmesser, she's going to be talking about the Welsh. Uh, Jan Lakuta is going to be talking about the Polish and Russians. Russians actually were Carpathian mountain people. My wife actually is a descendant of, of those those people also. Stephanie Longo, we're going to be talking about the Italians. Jim McFarland's going to be speaking about the Irish. That program is going to be from 7 to 8.30 uh, at the Pittston Memorial Library and going to be sponsored by the Greater Princeton Historical Society. There are so many programs. We have the Lackawanna Historical Society, the Luzerne County Historical Society, and there's going to be a majestic theater presentation in Pottsville, and that is going to be another opportunity to meet uh, Philip Mosley and his book, and then Eastern Pennsylvania Coalition for Abandoned Mine Reclamation and Earth Conservancy Program on the 17th. There's also the Nanticoke Historical Society Public Program on the 19th. And there are programs that are happening at King's College. There are two of them. There's one that actually they're both together, really, because you've got one and then you have the other one almost immediately following it. And that's pretty special. Yes, that's correct. One of the highlights of Anthracite Mining Heritage Month each year is the Monsignor John J. Curran, C-U-R-R-A-N, Curran Lecture at King's College. Monsignor Curran was known as the labor priest. He was a friend of the coal miner, helped settle the 1902 strike, the famous 1902 anthracite strike when Teddy Roosevelt got involved. And uh, uh, Roosevelt and Curran became good friends. In fact, Curran's mentioned in Teddy's uh, autobiography, it's, he praises the priest, and he really began the bull moose campaign of, of, of 1912 in Wilkes-Barre with Curran at his side. So they were very, very close. Um, in, in fact, uh, um, Roosevelt's son, delivers the eulogy at Curran's funeral in 1936. In any case, we begin on the 26th with the unveiling of the latest plaque at the Miners Park. The Miners Park, which is part of King's College and the Anthracite Heritage Foundation, we jointly cooperate on this. Miners Park is located on Public Square in Wilkes-Barre in front of what's now called the Dr. Alley Center used to be the Ramada Hotel and before that the Sheraton Hotel. Uh, this is going to be at 5.30 on the 26th. And, and uh, uh, Father Thomas P. Looney, the president of Kings, is going to unveil the latest plaque of about 160 names or so, which which will be what Mike... So it's a 17th plaque, I believe. 17th plaque. And these are the names of miners. These, these are not people who won awards. You know, they, they were not rescue heroes. Uh, the people of the Wyoming Valley and northeastern Pennsylvania, all over, have uh, sent in forty dollars and put up their their loved ones' name, and we we process that, and we have all these plaques up uh, in the Miners Park. But there are other things in the Miners Park too. It's a tribute to anthracite history. Immediately following that rather brief ceremony with Father Looney, uh, we're going to have the current lecture inside Dr. Alley, um, a center. And for that, we have uh, Professor Philip Mosley, who is an emeritus professor from Penn State Scranton. Uh, he's, this, he's this year's speaker. We always have a featured speaker. Uh, this talk is entitled Telling of the Anthracite, which means the anthracite story of, of Pennsylvania post-history. This is based upon his recently published book, by Sunbury Press, uh, how do we tell anthracite story? And, and and why do we tell it the way we tell it? And so that's what Professor Mosley, you know, the museums and the research and the books and the plays. We've got a few plays about anthracite history. In fact, we had one last year on Father Curran up, up at the uh, Lackawanna Historical Society, a dramatization of, uh, of his life. Uh, and Father Looney will again welcome us. And before Phil Mosley speaks, we're going to have Sue Hand present Father Looney a painting. You know, Sue Hand is a premier local artist who's done so much on anthracite history with the Breakers and with the the, uh, the Hollowed Ground exhibit is in that lobby, is in the alley, in the lobby of, of the Alley Center. She'll be there that night to present Father Looney with her painting of the Dorrance Colliery. 
and the breaker there. The Dorrance Colony was located once, once located near King's in Wilkes-Barre. That'll precede, immediately precede, Phil Mosley's uh, presentation, uh, again, talking about his latest book on the telling of, of Anthracite's story. So that'll be a full afternoon. The, the, uh, the unveiling begins at 5.30, and uh, the lecture goes to 8 o'clock, so, and there'll be lots of refreshments there. Just give us the information as to where we can get all of this information. There is an article in the Times Leader, January 3rd Times Leader. It's also on the Anthracite Coal National Park Facebook page, Anthracite Heritage Foundation. Facebook page, and a lot of a lot of the other uh, groups that are, are sponsoring them have, have have it on their Facebook page also. Yes, and, and the Anthracite Heritage Foundation Facebook page, which Mike runs, but there's also the Anthracite Heritage Foundation website, which the foundation runs, and it'll be it'll be posted up there. And we're already looking forward to 2024. Absolutely, Paul. Amazing programs for Anthracite Mining Heritage Month. Don't go away. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. being honored next. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now on special edition, the NAACP Wilkes-Barre branch has a program to honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Here's the president, Bill Brown. What does this mean to you? Well, it means a lot to me. I was the president of my college chapter back in 2010 when I went to Luzerne County Community College. And then I became a vice president of the local chapter of the NAACP. And it's pretty much come full circle because now I'm back to being president again. And um, it means a lot. I've, I've got a lot of hopes and aspirations for where this chapter can go. And I see us doing some really fantastic stuff. You know, we're going to be doing some collaborative work with some of the other not-for-profits and religious organizations in the community. And I look forward to that. We're starting with right out of the gate. Um, January 15th, we have Ophi Wortham, who is a civil rights activist that works with Dr. Martin Luther King. And we have him speaking at King's College on the Martin Luther King Junior weekend like that. He's going to be giving a lecture about his time serving as a um, civil rights activist with Martin Luther King and also starting the, some of the youth chapters of the NAACP back in the 60s and um, the 50s and 60s. 
we're doing some collaborative work. We're working with the Peace and Justice Center. We're working with the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Wyoming Valley. And that's going to be our first um, effort right out of the gate. And can the public attend that? Of course, it's open to the public. It's on Sunday the 15th at 3 o'clock in the Sheehy Farmer floor of the um, King's College right there, you know, on campus. And it's it's open to the public, and he's a fascinating gentleman like that. I mean, if you read his resume, it it would blow you away because he's done so much in his lifetime. And he's going to come and he's going to speak all about it. And it's a great way to start 2023. Is there a charge or does anybody have to make a reservation? Nope, it's like I know nope, it's free and open to the public. And it's just it's just some of what we're planning on, on bringing you in 2023. We're going to be doing a lot of really great stuff. And this is just to kick it off. And I know you mentioned the young people. And do you have anything planned in order to get them more involved? They want to have a voice, but sometimes they just don't know what direction. I don't want to speak about anything that's not concrete, but I am very, very big. I I believe our future lays in um, the minds of young people. And I want to do a lot of programming that's going to involve the youth, both the people of color and people not of color here in the community um, as far as trips maybe to the, um, you know, there's a new African-American museum down at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. And I know we've taken trips down there before. I would like to see us take some trips down there and take some of the youth um, with us and get them inspired. You know, I want to do a lot with um, both voter registration and anti-voter suppression in the community. And that's something that we can work with because, I mean, every year somebody turns 18. Like that, that's what we want to do. We want to keep people engaged and um, exercising their rights to vote. Like that. So that is what we'll be doing. We have to mention your predecessor. He's He really did a great job. And you're going to kind of lose him? Well, we're going to lose him a little bit, but we're not going to lose his spirit. Jamel was right fresh out of college, so he was excellent at recruiting that college-age person. And he did recruit some college-age people, which we now have to work in his spirit, to continue the recruiting of college-age people and youth and, you know, people in their 20s and 30s and so on and so forth. And so, like, we may be losing Jamel to, you know, um, the state and national um, conferences, but we are keeping his spirit alive and well right here um, in this area. And so that should be fantastic. And I'm going to allow you to do this, make the invitation, because I know whenever I would talk to Jamel, he would say, come join us. So, Mr. President, I'll allow you to do that on behalf of the Wilkes-Barre chapter in AACP. Basically, we are looking forward to people to come out and join the NAACP. It is one of the most affordable and rewarding things that you can do like that. We, and like I said, we're going to have a lot of programming, a lot of volunteer opportunities. I mean, we are volunteer driven. We work basically on the backs and the sweat of our volunteers. And we look forward to having people come out, join us, Get involved like that. The only way you can make your community a better place is through your involvement. And um, that's what we're looking forward to. And how can they get in touch with you to do that? They can go to our um, website, which is wb-naacp.org. Or um, we have a, we have Facebook pages. We're on Instagram. We're on um, Twitter. Um, if you look for us, you can find us out there. And um, basically, come to our, come to some of our events. Speak to our um, host and our staff. Speak to some of our volunteers that are always available. And we'll be more than happy to put you in touch with the right people so that you can work with our organization in the capacity that suits you best. Thanks again to Bill Brown, the president of the NAACP Wilkes-Barre branch and details of their program to honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Coming up next, fun exercise on Special Edition.
still working on those New Year's resolutions? Well, if you're thinking about exercise, include some fun. Shannon Joyce Cerulli is the director of Joyce School of Irish Dance, and she has your invitation to join them for exercise, fun, and to learn about the history that goes back hundreds of years. There absolutely is. It goes back back hundreds of years. The rheumatic dance came from the Druids with how they would do their chants and how they would, you know, do their thing back in the day. And it's just formed throughout the years to what we now know as Irish step dancing, as what we see in river dance. There's a lot of connections with other dance uh, styles out there that go along with Irish step dancing, like Latin dance and African folk dance and things like that, where, you know, you're using your feet to make that rhythm, to make that the music for you. Not to say we don't use music. We love music. So we pair it up and that's what you get when you get Irish step dancing. Big history, though. What my favorite story is of Irish step dancing back in the day when the British soldiers were walking around and Irish were not allowed to have fun, basically. They saw it as not something religious and not something appropriate. The Irish, that was part of their culture for a very long time before that. And what my dance future told us is that they would gather to have mass and to do their religion. And then after they would have a little party and that's when they would dance. And the form that we see today with the hands by our sides and your feet are the only thing moving apparently came from that because the soldiers would be walking by and they had the um, half doors. The part of the door would be open and the bottom half would be closed. And all they would see is just people looking like they're standing around and, but really on the floor, their feet were moving and they were having a fun time, especially after the soldiers walked by. So there's just so many different stories that come from Irish dancing throughout Ireland. There's different types within each county and you know the U.S. were a melting pot so they got to melt all of it together and we get to now present it to our area which is a lot of fun to show and educate. That (laughs) is so cool. That was one story we were told and I always just found that to be so eye-opening because everyone's gone through every religion every culture every race has gone through different struggles at some point and I felt like that is something that the Irish isn't afraid to say you know what we still want to have fun we still want to you know we praise in a different way you know you you have music God made music God made dance (laughs) as many Irish blessings go correct Um, they said you know what we're going to still do it and also to the other you know more scientific side is that they would take half the doors the uh, Dutch doors as we know them they would take the top half off and use that as the floor because the floors in their homes were dirt so they would use the you know the hardwood from the door to make the sound to make the music even though they weren't allowed to play and I just always thought that was a beautiful story to bring back to our dancers to say you know like this has come a long way and we're allowed to do this freely and with happiness and joy. So let's do it. (laughs) And you mentioned the fact that there are different areas that do different. So can you give us some examples of those and how it's kind of all melded together? In Irish step dancing, there's different styles. So there's reels, which are, and jigs, which everybody knows. Those are those fun, fast paced dances that, you know, everyone's clapping and cheering and, you know, they want to see the dancer's feet go faster and the movements and the people going across the stage and all that fun stuff. Um, And then there are slip jigs, which are, you know, more methodical. You think about what you're doing. Um, It's very rheumatic. And in the sense that you do it a lot with a hard shoe, which are those shoes that Michael Flatley made known to the world with the um, cap. And then in Ireland, they weren't always able to go to each other. You know, there's their counties all next to each other, but there are a lot of farmlands and very communities that are very together and close knit. And so they weren't going to travel to a different area <laughs> unless they had to, you know, they, maybe they had family there or they were doing something. So the, each 
town, from what I've read on the history of Irish step dancing, is that each town kind of had their own way of doing, maybe it was called the Haymaker's Jig. And that's, you know, a, a party dance. It's one that everybody keeps, you could keep doing. It's kind of like the song that never ends kind of dance. Depending on how many dancers you have, you go through every single person gets to be a lead in that dance, um, whether you're a step dancer or just somebody trying it. And each area has their own version. That one traveler came to that town and taught them that way. And they said, oh, I like that. And we do our, we do it this way. And so it's like when everybody came to, to America, it was the melting pot because they're all learning like, oh, we do the same thing in theory, <laughs> but we, we move our feet this way versus how you do it that way. And that's the really cool thing is that like in America, especially is that we get to have that melting of all the different types into one dance. And that's when we as dance teachers get to be creative and pull this step from this performance. And we want to uh, choreograph it into this this dance that we're doing with six and seven year olds and wow. maybe that dance we were pulling from was way back when nice. <laughs> of a town hall meeting and before it became competitive and there are different types of dances in Irish up dancing but at the end of the day it's always about the rhythm the consistency and you know the heritage behind it of when you see a step dancer dancing they all learned the same basic steps at the same uh, at the beginning i think is really cool to unite us all and that's another thing because you Mm -hmm. mentioned you know the feet going and and so many different (laughs) things so there's a lot of exercise involved and i know people are always saying i have to get exercise but nothing against them i really don't want to go to a gym maybe i'm intimidated (laughs) or something so you are mm-hmm. kind of offering up step dancing for exercise? How's that going to work? We are going to be offering an eight-week course for adults. And when I say adults, I mean 18 and out of high school, because if they're still in high school, they can still qualify for our student dancers. And in those eight weeks, we will be teaching the basics of Irish step dancing, those basic steps that if you were back in Ireland, back in the day, you would know these before you're even born because <laughs> your mom was probably doing them as well. And you would learn all those basic steps and we would choreograph through those eight weeks a dance that is special to that dance class. And what I mean by that is that we may have a group of men and women who love the fast pace and they want to be going all over the stage and they want to do their sevens and their two threes and these fancy kicks and things like that. But maybe my other group likes to have it a little more slow pace and we could do a slip jig with our soft shoes on instead of hard shoes and we could take our time. But either way, the workout will be there because Irish step dancing, whether they, if you take in it or not, you will, your feet aren't the only thing getting the exercise, your legs, your abdomen, you're regulating your breathing. It's a whole body experience that people really don't recognize until you try it. So I said, you know what, let's offer it in the new year. See if anybody wants to take it on and learn something at the same time in a very positive and upbeat group of women and men. (laughs) I I was going to say, I'm thinking of myself standing there being clutching to the wall saying, Shannon, I don't even know which is my left from my right sometimes. So it's this is this is pretty rudimentary. But again, you're still getting the exercise. And I think that's great. Yeah. And we did um, a few just like drop course, dropping courses last spring. And it was we geared it more like a Zumba class. And the women liked it that I came out to it. But they were like, you know what, I want to learn like how the, the students, the, the kids are learning it. And I really took that to heart because I was like, you know what? I was thinking women and men want like that fast pace all the time, high cardio, where where you kind of get lost, if that makes any sense, in a bad way, because you're you're trying to focus on your instructor. You're trying to f- make sure you're not bumping into the person next to you and you're doing all this stuff and you're, you may not feel as confident. And when they came back to me and said, oh, we really want to learn at a pace that is over time. I said, all right, let's do this. Let's regroup and let's see what we can do and still offer that aspect where women and men can get that exercise. But at the same time, learn the basics of Irish step dancing. And maybe if they travel over to Ireland, 
they can go out on that dance floor at that pub and show off what they've learned and, you know, be one of the locals in that moment. And oh, I would love where, that. It's so much fun to do. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I will say I got to do it and it was fun. <laughs> so where can we find you? How do we get in touch with you? How does how do we do all that information? So we have an Instagram that's under Joy School Irish Dance. We have a Facebook page that is just our name, Joy School of Irish Dance. And then we also have our website is JoyceIrishDance.com. And on all three of those, you have the ability to reach out and contact us. We also have an email address that is JoySchoolOfIrishDance at gmail.com. Quite long. We didn't know how to abbreviate it to not look silly, so we kept it as is. And either any of those four options, I am always in direct contact. I am the one answering those messages and making sure that people know that we're here and we see and we want to be there for our friends and family. If anybody ever looks on our Facebook page, most of our hosts start as high friends because I truly believe in the Irish culture. If you're not family, you're friends and we are we're basically family at that point. So <laughs> we have many options of being able to get in contact with us. Where are you but physically? Physically in Wilkes-Barre, we are located on Saturday mornings. Um, adult classes will be at nine and our children's classes are at 10 at Gather Community Space. It's diagonal to the YMCA and down the street from the WBRE studios. And then in Jessup, we are located at T&T Elite Sports Academy. And our classes there are from one to two for our beginner student um, children's classes, then two to three for our um, older students or more advanced uh, younger kids. (laughs) And then our adult classes will be at 3 p.m. And all of our classes at both locations are held on Saturday. You're in both counties, so there's a very good chance that you might see you in one of the parades coming up in March. Absolutely. We plan to be in the Scranton Parade as well as the Pittston Parade and Wilkesburg Parade. Oh, so right, we're very Pittston. excited. I forgot mm-hmm. about the one in the middle. <laughs> I'm Paula Degnan. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 